You're listening to Changing Hearts, Changing Lives, a seminar given by Changing Lives Ministries. Paul Tripp is a counselor and faculty member with the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, as well as director of Changing Lives Ministries, a ministry of CCEF. Session one. There are two things that I think are very, very important for us to recognize. And if you pay any attention to yourself and the people around you, you'll know this. The first thing is this. All of us still are people in need of change. Let me say that again. All of us still are people in need of change. Let me ask you, for example, how many of you lived a conflict-free 2002? How about December? How about last week? How about today? (laughs) Isn't it amazing? We're people in need of help. Second thing that's true, whether you've realized this or not, God has called all of us to be instruments of change in His redemptive hands. You are part of what God is doing. You are a person of influence. Now, our culture looks at this this personal ministry uh, in a very different way than the Bible does. We've sort of named that counseling, and when you hear counseling, you think of sort of formal things, an office and an appointment and exorbitant fees and, and technological labels and sometimes medication. And so what I want to do is start this evening and ask the question, what does the Bible say about this world of personal ministry? What does this, the Bible say about how to be an instrument of change in the life of somebody else? And we want to do a quick tour, a creation, fall, redemption tour. Just take three windows on this world of personal ministry. What is personal ministry uh, anyway? What, what does it look like? And we're going to start with, with Genesis chapter 1. Now, you know this passage well. You don't need to turn in your Bibles. But I want to get you to reflect on this passage. If you, if you pay attention to Genesis chapter 1, you will realize that Genesis chapter 1 has a cadence to it. It has rhythm, and if you you read through it, you can pick that up. Uh, God creates something. He declares it's good. It's evening and morning, the first day. God creates something, declares it's good. It's evening and morning, the second day. God creates something, declares it's good. It's evening and morning, the third day. You can almost rap. (laughs) Genesis chapter 1. I'm feeling the groove now. Until you get to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when God creates Adam and Eve. And all of a sudden, the the rhythm breaks. Because God does something with Adam and Eve that He hasn't done to anything else that He created. And hear this. The roots of counseling, the roots of personal ministry are in this conversation. Now, it's such a mundane moment that you can easily lose sight of how remarkable it actually is. Hear this. God turns 
to Adam and Eve, and he talks to them. Now you think, what's important about that? Listen. Hear this. These are perfect people living in a perfect world, living in perfect relationship with God, and God did not think that they could live life apart from his counsel. And the wonderful counselor comes to these people, and he begins to explain the most significant things of life to them. Hear this. Our need for personal ministry is not rooted in the fall. It's rooted in being human. Human beings need help outside of themselves. Human beings need truth outside of themselves in order to make sense out of life. And Adam and Eve were never created to figure it out on their own. To try to live life apart from God's counsel is like trying to drive a boat down an interstate. It's a wonderful creation, but it wasn't made to do that. And so God comes to Adam and Eve, and he begins to talk to them. Now think about that. In a real way, that tells us everything about our lives. I mean, maybe it would, be, it would be important to say it this way. There's a real way that you can say all of life is counseling. Do you understand you counsel people every day? Do you understand that you receive counsel every day? Do you understand it's impossible to live as a human being and not be a counselor? Do you understand it's, it's possible to live as a human being and not be a counselee? That's the stuff of the human existence. Proverbs captures this world of counsel, and the author of Proverbs divides it into two kinds of counsel, the way of the wise and the way of the fool. But listen, you're a person of influence. You are influencing people every day. The question is, is that influence biblical? Are you part of what God is doing in the life of that person, or are you in the way of it? You're a husband, you're a counselor. You're a wife, you're a counselor. You're a mom and dad, you're a counselor. You're a neighbor, you're a counselor. You're a worker, you're a counselor. You're an elder in the church, you're a counselor. You're a Sunday school teacher, you're a counselor. It is impossible not to be involved in this world of personal ministry. Now, why did God come to uh, Adam and Eve and, and begin, begin to counsel them? Well, there's three things we can say about human beings that make this, this counseling so important. First of all, human beings were made to be revelation receivers. You know those wonderful communicative abilities you have, your ability to hear your ability to think. Isn't it wonderful? I can speak these sounds. They hit your ears. Your brain assembles them. You make sense out of them. You can follow me. Isn't that amazing? Those weren't given just so you could have wonderful human relationships. Those were fundamentally given so that you could hear God. You could receive His revelation. You could know Him because you can't live without His counsel. And so you've been given the capacity to receive his revelation. It's an amazing thing. We're revelation receivers. We're never meant to live without it. We're never meant to try to figure out life all by ourselves. Second thing, human beings by their very nature are interpreters. 
Let me give you a fundamental principle. It's taught all over Scripture, although not just in one passage. Here's the principle. Human beings do not live their lives based on the facts of their experience, but based on their interpretation of the facts. You do not live life based on the facts of your experience, but based on your interpretation of the facts. You are an incessant interpreter. Wow, is that ever important? Think about this. About an 18-month little girl comes to her mommy and she says, Mommy, Mommy, I thinked about what you said. And you say, No, no, dear, it's not I thinked, it's I thought. Now think about that. The mistake this little girl has made is marvelously intelligent. Think about this, just by observation, she has learned that when you're speaking the English language and you want to form a verb in the past tense, you usually add an ED to the present tense. Now parents, how many of you have ever had that conversation with your kids? You say about 15 months, you know dear, you're going to want to conjugate the language in the past tense. And the normal rule is, no, this child has this capacity to observe and interpret and is putting two and two together and making four. Sometimes she'll put two and two together and make five. Or my youngest son, who's now a senior in high school, was about three or four years old. He was, he was in that stage where kids sort of are, they live by the Columbus method, land and discover. They're sort of the wanderers of earth, you know. And he was out wandering around the backyard. He knew his daddy had a doctor in front of his name. He knew I had an office and I sometimes saw people for appointments. And he figured I must be a medical doctor, although I'm not that. He was tooling around the backyard, just, you know, sort of. And in his whatever fantasy world he was in, he walked in front of his older brother who had a rake handle old broken rake handle was, was hitting rocks over the fence into the neighbor's yard. I always ask him to do that before I mowed. <laughs> that was a joke for you overly serious people. Uh, Ethan took a great big Barry Bonzian swing just as Darnay walked in front of him. Hit him flat in the forehead. His forehead split open. He began to bleed profusely. I knew there was something wrong because Little Darnay's older sister provided the siren for the family. She started to scream. It sounded like, you know how you can hear the siren go by your house? It sounded like she was doing laps around the yard. It was, oh, daddy, 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 daddy. The brother who was the perpetrator of the crime came in carrying his younger brother, and he said, Daddy, Daddy, am I in trouble? How much trouble am I in, Daddy? I didn't mean to do it. He's not really caring about his brother. He's pleading his legal case. Uh... We're now in the kitchen. Uh, Nicole is running laps in the kitchen saying, Daddy, do something, do something. It's all bloody, it's all bloody. And Ethan says, I'm, I'm not, how much trouble am I, Daddy? Oh, Daddy, please, I didn't mean to do it. I'll never touch a rake handle again. I'll never go in the backyard again. I'll never hit stones again. Please, Daddy. I'm not a squeamish person, but it was a bloody scene, and I was, I could at that moment think of the number 911. <laughs> I had 111-999-919-191. I couldn't assemble it. Nicole's screaming, Ethan's pleading his case, and I look down at little bleeding Darnay, and he's utterly at peace. Not even crying. I notice his little lips are moving. 
So I bend my head down to his little mouth, and I hear him saying over and over again, I'm just so thankful my daddy is a doctor. <laughs> now, if I could use this term, I'm thinking, you're in deep doo-doo, uh, because this, <laughs> this is not the kind of doctor that I am. See, interpretation. This little boy is not responding to the facts of what's happening. He's responding to his interpretation of the facts. And he is scarily at peace when he's deeply in danger. That's us. And your life is not just shaped by what you experience, but how you've interpreted what you experience. And God speaks to us because his truth is the only way to generate valid interpretations about life. You need God's revelation in order to interpret life properly. Third thing, human beings are worshipers. I don't know if you think about it this way, but worship is not first a ritualistic or religious activity. Worship is your identity. Do you understand? You are a worshiper. Uh, one of my favorite theologians, Bob Dylan, uh, says, sung so powerfully, you got to serve somebody. You are always living in the service of something. There's always something that has claim on your heart, and we'll look at that some later. Think about this. Everything in life somehow expresses worship. If I could give you a parental example again, you're, you're at Toys R Us with one of your children. Don't go there. The devil's in that place. And, and uh, you've gotten through the big wide aisles pretty safely. If you go down the middle of the aisles, they're pretty wide, you can make it. You, you get to that final checkout aisle, it's a conspiracy against good parenting. Right there are those $6.95, $5.95 items that your children want. You know, they'll break before they ever get them home. And little Johnny says, Mommy, 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 I want one of those. It's the Captain X Bonko figure. I don't even have one of them. Billy has all of them. He even has the PlayStation. I'm the only kid in the neighborhood that has to go to somebody else's house to play with the Captain X Bonko figures. Mommy says, no, Johnny. We're not going to buy those today. I said, Mommy, Mommy, please, please, just one. Just one. No, Johnny. Mommy's bought you a puzzle. And mommy's not going to buy you that figure. And Johnny goes, ah! He starts screaming. At that moment, you wish life had trap doors. <laughs> you could just press a button and disappear. There are people walking by with their carts going. Now, I would propose to you, that's not just an issue between you and Johnny. That's a vertical issue. Hear this. Johnny doesn't want a mom and dad who will provide for him. Johnny doesn't want a God who will provide for him. Are you ready for this? Johnny wants to be him. Johnny wants to think, and it will happen. He wants to speak, and it will be done. He wants to say, I want, and he will get. And if it does not happen, if you stand in his way, there will be hell to pay. 
You ever watch the body of a, of a little baby stiffen up? Listen, that's not just a problem between two human beings. That's worship. That child wants to be at the center of his world. And the ultimate idol for all of us is self. So God, God comes and speaks to Adam and Eve because they need His revelation. They need Him to make interpretation. They need to know that they were made to worship Him. And if they're not worshiping Him, they will be enslaved to other things. So God immediately comes and talks to them. Listen, let me say this again. Our need for personal ministry, our need for daily help, is not because there's sin in the world. It's because we're human beings. Human beings were never made to live independent lives. We're made to be dependent on God. Now that leads us to Genesis chapter 3. Again, you don't need to turn there because it's a very familiar passage. Genesis chapter 3, we have something dramatic happen. You're familiar with the conversation between the serpent and Eve. But I want to put this in a personal ministry context for you. What's going on there? Can I tell you? It's, it is, you couldn't get a more dramatic human moment. For the first time in human history, are you ready for this? Another counselor enters the scene. Now think about what he does. What he does is he takes the exact same set of facts, hear this, and gives them a dramatically different interpretation. Same facts. Dramatically different interpretation. What a significant moment. Now here's what you learn. You learn that this world of personal ministry is a moral world. There are no neutralities here. Think about this. If you're Adam and Eve, and you listen to the advice of this new counselor, I want to say this reverently, but I think it's true, you would be stupid to continue to obey God. You would be a fool to continue to obey God. Because God's insecure, He's a liar and a cheat, He's afraid that you will rival his position and he's duped you. Don't think that the counsel you give and receive is unimportant or neutral. Counseling is always about right and wrong. It's always about true and false. It's always about good and bad. It's always about healthy and unhealthy. The advice you give gives moral shape to a person's life. This is a very, very sad moment. And I want to draw this moment out to you just for a moment. In this moment, for the first time, all the competition and confusion for the hearts of people begins. As I talk to people, who are struggling with their marriages, struggling with parenting, struggling with their jobs, struggling with depression and fear or anxiety, 
of all the years I've done that, there's one thing I could say about people that all of them tend to share. They're confused. Because we no longer just hear one voice. We hear thousands and thousands and thousands of voice. voices. It's short, sort of like living in human life is sort of like being in the gym at a high school five minutes before the assembly begins and everybody's talking at once. There's, the, there's that cacophony of noise going on. And there are voices that are bombarding at you every day on television and radio and magazines and friends and at work, and they're all talking about life. They're all telling you what to do, and it seems impossible to cut through all of that noise and understand what is really true and right. And listen, all of those voices compete for one thing. Brothers and sisters, hear this. They compete for one thing. They compete for your heart. Because what you think and what you desire will set the course of your life. And Adam and Eve did the unthinkable. They disobeyed God. And the world has never been the same. They disobeyed God. Are you ready for this? Because they followed bad counsel. Now that leads us to our third window, redemption. And this is a passage I would like you to turn to. I would like you to turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews 3. Verses 12 and 13. I had someone come to me once in a change of hearts, change in lives uh, week, and they said this to me. They said, Paul... I can understand how unbelievers need to be counseled, but I don't understand why a believer needs it. I mean, I got the Holy Spirit. I got the Bible. I got my preacher and I got Sunday school. Why do I need to be counseled? Well, this passage addresses this question. Hebrews 3, verse 12. See to it, brothers, written to Christians, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Hmm. What's the warning? The warning is a warning against falling away. I don't know if you've noticed these words, but the progressive. See to it that none of you have a, has a sinful, unbelieving, turning away, hardened heart. That's how it happens. I give my way myself to little patterns of sin. That sin is followed by unbelief. I, I begin to back away from the Word of God. I tell myself I'm not really sure it's true. As I back away from the Word of God, I lose my spiritual anchor, and I turn away even more, and finally my heart becomes hardened. Now when you hear that, you hear the possibility of the heart of a believer becoming hardened, you ought to say, how in the world could that ever happen? There's a theological explanation here. Let me read again. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened, are you ready for this? By sin's deceitfulness. Brothers and sisters, hear this. Sin, by its very nature, is deceitful. And guess who it deceives first? I have no problem seeing the sin of my wife and children. 
I regularly get surprised when mine is pointed out. You see, the Bible would tell us that Christ on the cross broke the power of sin. But hear this. The presence of sin, sin still remains in you. And that, that presence of sin is progressively uh, eradicated by the work of the Holy Spirit. That's called progressive sanctification. Now, as long as sin still dwells in us, there will be pockets of spiritual blindness for all of us. Hear this. The most important vision system of a human being is not your physical eyes. The most important vision system of a human being is the eyes of the heart. You can live physically blind and live quite well. You cannot live spiritually blind and live well. And here's the most significant aspect of spiritual blindness. We tend to be blind to our blindness. We think we see when we really don't. We think we're wise when we're really not. We think we know ourselves when we really don't. We're blind to our blindness. Let me read again. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Hear this. We need the help of one another how often? Say it. Daily. Our blindness is so pervasive and so significant that, that literally we need one another every day. Please hear this principle. It itself can be life-changing. Personal, spiritual insight is the product of community. You don't get it by yourself. Personal, spiritual insight is the product of community. You don't get it by yourself. Because of that, the body of Christ needs two character qualities. First, we need the loving courage of honesty. The loving courage of honesty. Oh, in so many of our relationships, we spend so much of the time trimming the truth. We see other people better than they see themselves, but we're afraid of misunderstanding. We're afraid of losing relationships. We're afraid, we're afraid, we're afraid, and we trim the truth. And often, when we speak the truth, we don't speak it in love. Listen. The Bible says, speak the truth in love. Truth not spoken in love ceases to be the truth because it's twisted by other human agenda. We need the loving courage of honesty. We need to speak into one another's lives. The second character quality we need. We need the humility of approachability. We need to be willing. We need to be humble. We need to be ready to receive the help that God has given us. Brothers and sisters, I've begun praying this in the morning. I try to think of this before I get up every morning. I first pray, say to the Lord, Lord, I'm, in a, desperate, I'm a man of desperate need of help this morning. I then pray, Lord, I pray that you would send your helpers my way. 
And then I pray, and I pray that you'd give me the humility to receive the help that is needed. Do we need help? Yes. We're human beings. We were never meant to live independent lives. Do we need help? Yes, we do. We live in a world of tremendous confusion. All kinds of counsel vying for the thoughts and desires of our hearts. Do we need help? Yes, we do. Because we tend to be tragically spiritually blind. And insight really comes as a product of community. Creation, fall, redemption, all argue for the importance of this world of personal ministry. God help us to be humble and committed to be part of what he's doing in the lives of one another. Amen. For information about this resource and others like it, call Resources for Changing Lives at 1-800-318-2186 or visit us on the web at www.ccef.org. A CDR Communications Production.